Hello, and welcome to the Shadowlight Podcast. I'm your host, Larissa Bell. At Shadowlight, I help empaths and highly sensitive people understand their sensitivity as their greatest strength so that they can build a life that feels good to live. On our podcast, we explore themes like self-discovery, body wisdom, living in alignment, boundary setting, and prioritizing well-being. Take a few deep breaths, relax any tension from your body, and let's get started. Hello, listeners, and thank you for joining us for today's episode. Today, I'm speaking with Christine Bingo. Christine nourishes her soul with warm, sunny days and meeting open-minded people with different life experiences from her. She's extremely passionate about her business called The Modern Spectrum, where she supports and empowers parents and caregivers with autistic and neurodivergent kids. She does a lot of community education and advocacy work to promote neurodiversity and inclusion because she believes everyone deserves to live in an inclusive world where they're able to thrive. Christine loves to dance, surf, walk barefoot in the grass, and make art projects out of recycled materials like CDs and pistachio nuts. I got to know Christine years ago when we were hired as coaches for a health tech startup in San Francisco, and we both still recall moments from that very first lunch where we established our friendship. Christine, I'm so happy to have you here. What's going on in your world right now? Oh, thank you so much for having me, Larissa. And I just have to say, you have an amazing podcast voice. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yes, intonation, everything, everything. I'm already like drawn in. So I'm so glad to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Flattery will get you far with me. (laughs) (laughs) In my world, let's see. Um, Yeah, just to answer your, your question, I am getting ready to... Uh, fly across the country this weekend for my sister-in-law's baby shower. So I'm going to become an aunt for the first time next month. So uh, that's going on in my world that I'm super excited about. Oh my goodness. Congratulations. And are you crafting a gift out of CDs and pistachio nuts for the new baby? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's amazing. I know. I want you to share more about like what 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 have you created out of materials like that? I'm so curious. That's so funny. My friend had a baby a few months ago and I did, I made her, she had a baby girl and um, I like wrote her name out. I made, I made a sign with her name and I made these like little pistachio nut flowers. <laughs> they could look oh like gosh. Dahlia, they're like lotuses. And so, yeah, I got a lot of protein while I was making that project, which was really fun. Amazing. <laughs> I love it. It served multi purposes. Yes, absolutely. That is so awesome. Well, I'm glad I'm catching you before your big trip. And that is so very exciting. Auntie life is the best. I've been an aunt for a long time. I've got half siblings that are quite a bit older than me. And so actually when I was pretty little, I became an aunt. So I'm only a couple years older than my oldest nephew. And I just, my family has memories of me being like a little child myself being like, come to auntie. Like, I was so proud <laughs> of my title. <laughs> I'm sure you've earned it well. <laughs> oh, yes. Been an auntie for a good long while. Well, so something that I wanted to kind of dive in and explore with you today, I'll kind of set this up by framing, you know, in Christine's area of work, a major challenge that parents and educators face is that we live in a world that simply wasn't designed for their kids or their students. And this is a common thread between her niche and my own. So some of the biggest pain points that highly sensitive people face stem from being measured against this rigid set of standards and expectations 
but just don't take into account that we are literally wired to experience the world differently. But when we take time to understand and embrace neurodiversity, we honor that not everyone thinks, feels, or processes this world in the same way. And there's not one right way of doing things. And our differences are not viewed as deficits or things that are held against us. So Christine, I'm curious, what are some of the societal norms and expectation that make it challenging for people to accept and support neurodivergent and highly sensitive individuals? Oh, yes. I love this question. Okay. Mm -hmm. Super juicy and probably take up a whole entire podcast. I love it. Um, Let's do it. And I think, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, just, just to start just asking yourself, you know, what are some of the beliefs and expectations that I hold on to? And since in my world, I do tend to work with parents and families and professionals who have neurodivergent kids. It can be really challenging to talk to parents about the role that they play when their kids are experiencing challenging behaviors, right? Mm. It's really hard to point a finger at, at them to look at themselves instead of looking at their kids as someone that needs fixing or, you know, who's mm. doing something wrong just because they are inherently them. And so with the parents and the professionals that I work with, it's really I get them to take a look at the their own expectations and beliefs that they're holding on to. So let's even take an example of being in a grocery store with a neurodivergent child, right, who has a meltdown. Maybe this is something that, you know, listeners have seen and witnessed. Maybe it's something that, you know, they share this experience. Maybe their own kids are neurodivergent. And just think about the judgments that are placed on these parents and families. Think about what happens if you're seeing a kid who looks like they're throwing a tantrum in the middle of the store because they can't get the candy that they want. Their Mm -hmm. mom, their parent tells them, no, you can't have it. And all of a sudden there's this big, big reaction. And you look at the kid and you look at the parent. And I think so often parents get shamed and judged by sometimes complete strangers, or sometimes Mm -hmm. it's from other family members. And so maybe the the judgments are, well, y- children are supposed to look and act a certain way in public spaces, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's even, um, you know, I work with parents who their own parents, like the grandparents of these kids come in with so many expectations around like, oh, of course, as soon as I see the child, he should hug me. They should make eye contact with me. And if they mm-hmm. don't, that means that they're rude or that means that they are intentionally disobeying me, right? Mm. Or even if it's a teacher in a school setting and right? having one of the students who's acting up in class who is running around the room and is having a really hard time sitting still, that teacher can make judgments on that child that they're intentionally disobeying or disrupting the class because they are craving attention. Mm. All of those might seem like micro moments or micro aggressions even that are placed upon neurodivergent kids. I mean, there's tons that are placed on on us as adults too. Mm. Um, But yeah, I think examples like that where it could be something small around just how we think other people, other kids should or shouldn't be acting, you know, certain questions that they ask about, maybe people deem inappropriate, um, 
all kinds of things like that. There are probably millions of these expectations and beliefs that we all hold, every single one of us. And I don't, I think because we, we look at society as, well, here's the cultural norms, here are the cultural standards that we all yes. abide by and adhere to. It, not that many people take the time to actually question, you know, does it serve me to maintain this belief? Does it serve the people that I surround myself with? Or mm. am I automatically judging people and, and criticizing somebody who doesn't think and, and act and look the same way as me? Is, is their perception of the world wrong just because it's different than my own? That's like a fundamental question that I wish more people would just take the time to ponder about and, and think about. Absolutely. That That's a really good explanation. Thank you for that. And it's just bringing up all of these thoughts where I'm reflecting on my own journey growing up as this highly sensitive child and, and adult. I only gained the language and the terminology of like highly sensitive person or HSP within this last year. This is all very new, right? And right. I've just had all of these instances where for me, uh, you know, one of the ways that being highly sensitive has manifested by way of like my uh, experiences, my behaviors and needing different things is when I get overstimulated and overwhelmed. And I have been in all of these spaces for my whole life, whether it's just being at school, like elementary school amongst all these kids going from class to class with very little time for alone time or sensory breaks or quiet space. Like there was none of that. And I would just get to the point where my head was spinning and it felt like I was going to explode. And it would lead to what teachers and parents saw as outbursts. And it's like, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to do anything, you know, to ruffle everyone's feathers, but I have this unexpressed, really big feeling inside me. And right now I'm lacking the language to articulate, you know, what I need. I don't necessarily know what I need if I'm a child, you know, but mm -hmm. it can just get to the point where, you know, I've seen in your social media messaging too, kind of shifting our relationship to these outwardly seen behaviors and really trying to have empathy for where it's coming from. Maybe it's not this child being naughty or misbehaving. It's probably just an expression of, hey, this individual has a need that needs to be met, right? Or they're feeling overloaded and they need some space. It's things like that far more often. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, for such a long time, there was a huge focus on behaviorism in psychology, mm. right? It's like just looking at the behavior and focusing on, okay, this is the thing that needs to be fixed. If Larissa is having outbursts in school, then we need to mm. stop the outbursts, right? And yeah. so- we need to discipline her. We need to tell her that's not right. <laughs> I'm sure that worked really well for you, right? <laughs> so well. Thanks. <laughs> it's all better. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I recall a story of your own and, and maybe, or of one of your students, rather, and perhaps you were going to say this, so sorry if I'm beating you to the punch, but I remember you talking about one of your students in the past having to sit through these, you know, parts of, of the the school day where they were just made to trace over letters on a page that they weren't understanding. It wasn't landing for them or teaching them in the way that they learned, right? It didn't honor their learning style at all. And they were just being made to mimic, you know, this behavior that other students in the class were doing. 
and that you notice that, you know, this person isn't benefiting from this. Who, who is this practice for at the end of the day? Exactly. Who is it for? And again, like we, there were so many of the old paradigm ways of thinking around behaviorism. That was, you know, a classroom for kids with disabilities and Mm -hmm. this boy that, that, yeah, you're recalling that I share about him so much because it, it, he probably changed the trajectory of my career, you know, my experience Mm -hmm. in that classroom, because it really was there that I recognized that, you know, I'll just say there was an older teacher that I worked with who she had been there for 20 plus years and was just very stuck in her ways. And I was kind of a fresh, you know, fairly new out of college and just interested in in being creative and really getting to know the kids. And what I mm-hmm. noticed in the, the differences between her approach and mine was when this boy was just doing this repeated thing over and over again without any satisfaction, something that was so hard for him to do, he was born completely deaf and had um, cochlear implants that, mm-hmm. you know, magnetically attached to the back of, of your ears. And when he would get frustrated, he could remove them and he would throw them across the room. And once they were off, he was, you know, completely deaf again. He couldn't, couldn't hear anything. And he would take off his shoes and throw those two, which maybe reflecting back was like a sensory thing. I'm not sure. But then he would also close his eyes and he'd cross his arms and he would just sit there, you know, as a way to just kind of be like, F you all. <laughs> he was also <laughs> five or six at the time. You know, he was a, a young kid without much verbal language. And so, like you're saying, he he didn't have the tools. He didn't know how to express his own needs because he probably didn't even know what he needed, but he knew that this was something that was frustrating for him. Mm-hmm. And when I started to work with him more closely and changed what I did in my approach, or when I stopped looking at him as the problem or he needs to stop throwing his implants, it was more asking myself the question of what's, what's going on below the surface. You know, it's like there was also so many signals that he was showing to all of us in the moments before he ever took that implant off, you know? And so Mm -hmm. For me to become more attuned to what is he saying beyond the behaviors and that's what's you know tying it back to what, what you're saying is looking at we're calling it now like the iceberg of behaviors right where the behavior is at the, the very tip throwing the implant having the outburst whatever it is that's at the top but all the other things that could be going on maybe the maybe the fans in the classroom were really noisy for him and something that he you know mm fixated on maybe it was the work that he was doing and it's really like as parents as professionals as friends and family members and and even co-workers right to just instead of looking at the surface level of what's going on how do we look beyond just what's coming up you know as the um as the output to get a better understanding of, of all the things, what, what happened in your day, you know, his parents were going through Mm -hmm. a divorce. Is that a part of it that's playing into his behavior, all these things. And how do we meet and validate? And, you know, especially with people who are highly sensitive, I think this is where our our work overlaps a lot. Mm -hmm. It's it's trying to understand that person who expresses themselves in a different way than you and perceives the world in a different way than you and just trying to understand them rather than to come at them with your own set of judgments and expectations around how they should or shouldn't be acting. That's so, so well put. And it just, you know, where I keep landing in when I turn these topics over and over in my mind is just that 
if we can all collectively understand that people are wired differently, not everyone experiences this world the same way. And when we just focus on trying to get everyone to behave similarly, we're missing out on the richness of everyone's individuality and uniqueness. And all of these differently wired brains notice different things. You know, it can be about just picking up on like the subtle nuances of an experience. You know, it can be having a super deep processor in your brain where you really go down a tunnel or a rabbit hole and you find out amazing things on a topic. Like all of these people that are so differently wired have such amazing things to share when they are encouraged to live as themselves and are equipped with what they need, right? And that can be the right circumstances for learning or sharing or being granted the amount of space or support or whatever it might be that they actually need to thrive. But first, we just have to acknowledge that different people need different things and that that's okay. There's truly nothing wrong with that. And I want to ask you, you know, what are your thoughts on how we can start to create a more inclusive world where everyone does have the opportunity to thrive? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think part of it, which just also speaks to your your last point, <clears throat> is we need to destigmatize neurodiversity and anyone who is, like you said, wired differently and change the narrative. Um, mm-hmm. I read an article recently. I'm I'm blanking on the on who it was. Maybe I could find it and it could be attached later. But it was somebody. The author was a neurodivergent person, and they were talking about how. Which also, I should say, I'm neurodivergent myself. It was something that I didn't discover until much later in life. Kind of like mm. you were sharing. I mean, mm-hmm. didn't have the language for it. Um, it was always like, I know I'm different, but but why? Um, <laughs> and so they were they were saying that like my neurodiversity is not what disables me my disability comes from living and existing in a world that isn't designed for me and it's designed against me Mm. um and so there's something that's called the double empathy problem I'm not sure if you're familiar with it um it is being acknowledged more and more in research. And here's just one example. For such a long time, if you think about autism and what people know about autism, there's so many inaccuracies and stigmas that I would love to clear up for the world. But one of them Mm -hmm. is that, you know, or also, yeah, it's, it's true that autistic people have a hard time reading social cues and they don't perceive the same things in social social situations as other folks do. And so for such a long time, this fed into the idea that autistic kids and adults need to be fixed, right? That their way of interacting with people was wrong. So we need to teach them the social skills that everybody else has so that they can conform. And, you know, while there are definitely positives to understanding how other people interact right because you could feel left out if you don't understand those cues now what we're learning is just as autistic people have a hard time reading hold on let me gather my thoughts really quick on this so no that's okay take a moment your time yeah the double empathy problem is even though we used to think it was just autistic people who needed to you know fix and adapt what they do what we're learning now is that non-autistic people 
also have a very difficult time communicating with autistic people. So if you take two people with autism, they actually can communicate very well together. And if you take two non-autistic people, they can communicate well. The problem comes when an autistic person is interacting with a non-autistic person. And so the, the whole point of that research, the whole point of what I'm trying to say is like, you know, we, we zoomed in on their way is wrong and they need to adapt when really the double empathy problem is that actually non-autistic people, there's so much more that they also can do in order to interact with autistic people and, and change that perception, right? That it's just one-sided. So I think that's one way to create more inclusion is for anybody who considers themselves neurotypical, what can you do to break down those expectations that we were talking about earlier, right? The How can you challenge your own beliefs around how, how people can exist in the world? And if you're noticing that you struggle to interact with people who maybe are different than you and you're noticing that your judgments are coming up and your expectations, what can you do to really soften and let go of and question some of those judgments that you're holding on to? I think that's one thing that anybody can do that is just so accessible, right? It's just kind of taking time to get to know yourself and, and the beliefs that you're holding on to. I think that's a really big one. Absolutely. And it just makes me think of this skill that we can all build in terms of being able to empathize without necessarily being able to relate. It's okay if we can't anticipate how that feels for the other person or what's going on with them. But can we approach other people with a curiosity and an inquisitiveness and an openness where we're not just looking for answers that we expect or for an interaction that matches the way that we usually interact with people. Can we just show up for one another and be open and maybe even be open to learning something that we didn't know in that interaction? You know, because I think exactly. that oftentimes we, we can gravitate towards things that are familiar, right? And that's a, a big comfort zone thing, but there's new stuff for us to experience and new, you know, sparks in our own way of thinking that we can get from interactions with folks that have a very different lived experience than us. And, you know, gosh, there's a million topics I want to touch on. There's one I definitely want to bring up, you know, and with our time, I want to move us here. So another area um, where your work and mine kind of overlap or brush up against one another is this topic of body wisdom and nervous system regulation. So I'm curious if you can share a little bit about how body wisdom and nervous system regulation comes up in your work or in your life, kind of however you would like to speak to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we talked about kind of the end goal, right, which is to get people to that point where they can question their own expectations and beliefs that they hold on to. And I don't want to minimize the work and effort that it takes to even be able to get there. And so one tool that can be so, so helpful is the practice of your own body wisdom and learning how to self-regulate. So this is work that I do with parents all the time because what these neurodivergent kids need, if you think about it, like, right, like you know, you mentioned your outbursts as a kid and I imagine like how lonely it can, it could feel, right? For me, it was also so lonely. I I grew up not being able to express my emotions. You know, 
I was raised by a single dad after my mom passed away. And so for him, he was doing the best he could to hold everything together, which I now understand. But at the time for me, you know, it wasn't okay or really safe for me to express feelings of sadness or fear or worry. And so I bottled it up and, and dealt with it in not good ways for a very long time on my own mm-hmm. as a kid. And all kids need co-regulation from their parents, like even as infants, right? We need adults to help us soothe because our brains aren't fully developed yet and we don't have the tools or the skills to regulate on our own. So mm-hmm. our bodies are wired for connection, which I'm sure, you know, I'm speaking to you and listeners who who already know that, but mm-hmm. it, it it's such a simple concept when you really think about it. Like kids need co-regulation from adults. They need safe spaces and especially kids where the world is a scary place for all of these reasons, right? They're sensitive to the stimulation that we have in the world. They're being bullied more often in schools. They're overstimulated even when they get to the workplaces. And so for them to have these safe spaces with their parents where they know like, look, I might be getting bullied at school. I might be misunderstood by my friends, by my teachers, by my whoever. But no matter what, I know that at the end of the day, when I come home, this is a safe space for me to unwind where I'm accepted exactly as I am. And Mm -hmm. if I'm frustrated, if I'm scared, if I'm feeling really big feelings and emotions, I know that I can go to my parent or my caregiver and that they can help me regulate myself because again, I don't have the tools because I'm just a kid. And so, you know, for parents, before you can co-regulate, you have to learn how to self-regulate. And Mm -hmm. what's really cool about this time right now is just seeing how often it's being talked about on social media, you know, in Mm -hmm. spaces like this, where now people are really doing the work because I think most of us grew up, you know, not knowing how to regulate ourselves because this isn't stuff that our parents learned either. They did the best that they could with the tools that they had, but we are in a new paradigm now, right? Where we know how much emotional regulation impacts every single aspect of our life. (laughs) And if we don't, if we don't learn it as kids, then we're going to struggle as adults. We're going to find ways that we can numb ourselves or tune out right? because it just feels too much. It's so overstimulating and we don't know how to deal. So that I think is, is one of the key things that I teach to not only the parents, but also the educators, right? Like they have tough jobs too. They have to I don't have to talk about, yeah, how much teachers have on their plate as well. And so <laughs> I think that's a huge part of my job is to acknowledge and validate the complexities of being parents and professionals who are raising neurodivergent kids or working with them in any capacity, right? Like there's a way to see these kids as whole and complete exactly as they are. And also acknowledge like, because these systems aren't set up for them, it's, it's, it could be really, really challenging and it mm. could be really hard for these parents to advocate for their kids every day, to deal with the judgments and the stares of strangers and comments from family members. You know, it, it is so much. Yeah. And I think with co-regulation, just one other thing I'll, I'll say about that and, and regulating mm-hmm. your own nervous system is it's one thing that they can control. 
it is one thing that you do have some semblance semblance of control over is how you react, you know, how you show up and, mm. and you can take accountability and responsibility for, you know, recognizing when you're in fight or flight and getting the tools to help you navigate that so that you can regulate your own nervous system. Because mm. if the parents are dysregulated, you know, if they are constantly stressed and, you know, don't know what to do in those moments where they are just losing it all the time, it's going to be so hard for them to show up for their kids in the way that they need. So it's actually such an empowering tool because it is so accessible and, you know, it's not easy. It's taken me so much time to be able to say that, you know, I know and have the tools to regulate my, my own nervous system. It's a constant practice, but I, I do think it's one of the most um, empowering tools that, that any of us can, can have. Oh, I absolutely agree. And I think that, you know, what's really standing out to me is referring to it as a means of creating safe spaces in this mm -hmm. world that is often unkind, often overwhelming and not designed for you. We do have so much power to create our own little worlds within the world, but we have to do it. We have to create it. And the reason why this thought of working with your body, working with your nervous system comes up in like that first line of defense is that it starts with you. It starts with literally you and the things within you. And you have a lot of power to create the state that you want to be existing in. I'm not saying that it's easy, but I am saying that it's important and it's such a valuable resource, whether you're a parent of someone who is highly sensitive or neurodivergent, or whether you are highly sensitive, neurodivergent yourself. That is such an incredible tool. And that's something that I share with my clients too, more so in a, here's something that you can do with yourself and for yourself. Um, mm. And it's something that I just think it's one of the first, one of the first useful things that I like to share with people because it really, it sets the tone for so many other things that you can be doing and helps it come from a more grounded, from a more regulated and clear place. It's just invaluable. It really is. 100% agree. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, you know, here's a, a question that I like to wrap up these interviews with. Knowing all that you know now about yourself, about the world, about the life that you want to lead, what would you like to tell your younger self? Oh, hmm. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of, of inner child work lately. Hmm. Um, and I think it ties back to everything that we've shared in this conversation, um, which is all your feelings are valid yeah. and your worth is not determined by your grades or what college you get into mm -hmm. or who you're dating. Yeah. And you're not any, any less worthy of, of existing in the world because you have emotions and you're not too much. And mm -hmm. Um, yeah, like keep shining. That's what I would tell her. <laughs> I love it. And it's all so true. Now, Christine, if listeners would like to learn more about you or your offerings, where's a good place they can find you? Yeah. So in my business is called the modern spectrum. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok under that name, the modern spectrum. Um, my website is the modern I am currently accepting 
uh, I have a few spaces for one-on-one clients. So yeah, if you are a parent and, and any of us spoke to you or a caregiver, uh, and also, yeah, I do education consulting in, in schools or, you know, if you're a therapist in any way, um, I would love to work with you. So find me, find me at any of those places. <laughs> Fantastic. And I will definitely link those in the show notes as well. Christine, it was such a pleasure getting to interview you, getting to chat with you today. I love our conversations and I'd love to have you back in the future. Oh, it would be my pleasure. Thank you so much for hosting. This is so fun. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a friend, like, and subscribe. Helping us a little goes a very long way. If you find our content valuable and would like to deepen your journey, I invite you to join my program, The Empowered Empath. Inside, you'll receive lifetime access to information, community, and live support from me to help you embrace your sensitivity, feel more grounded in your body, clarify your understanding of who you are and what you want from life, and gain a set of tools to help you live in alignment with your values and desires. Follow the link in the show notes to learn more and join us today.